invite you to take your scriptures back to turn back to 1 Corinthians, if you would, in our series on Sunday mornings in Jersey, or in Jesus in Jersey. It's a conflict. Been a lot of people in recent days who've been sick in the hospital. And uh, Janissa and Anthony's little boy, Ollie, went home yesterday. So grateful for that. He's had um, Kawasaki disease. I, I was familiar, not familiar to me. Um, but he had symptoms. And you know, anytime you have a serious illness, um, health issue physically in your life, they're going to run a battery of tests. And they, they kept running tests and tests for days and days. And, and uh, they had to come up with a diagnosis of what it was. And the word diagnosis is a compound Greek word, dia, meaning through, and gnosis, meaning to know. So you know through the symptoms. You look at all the symptoms and you work through it. And that gives you the knowledge of what the problem is and how to treat it. And they have eventually done that. And he's doing so much better, so much better spiritually. The Apostle Paul, or should I say Dr. Paul, has done that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and the text that we looked at last week. And the Corinthians are having problems, uh, spiritual health issues. Uh, They have divisions in their church and uh, Paul has run a battery of tests and has come to the conclusion that the disease stems from or is caused by in chapter 3 verses 1 through 4, he said it three times. Fleshliness, opposite of being spiritual. They were very selfish when it comes right down to it. Uh, Filled with pride, they wanted their own way, they had agendas, they were kind of having their own separate interest groups based on the leader that they sided with. And Paul said that um, they're going to have to find God's cure for that. And he's been so so far saying that it's the cross, not just for salvation, but living in light of the cross, and not man's wisdom and power, but God's counter-wisdom and power. And so now he's going to change a little bit of direction, and he wants us to see this morning that the cure for the selfishness that all of us fight, even in God's house, is because we have a wrong focus. And he wants to give them an attention grabber. He wants them to get back to focusing on God. Up until now, the problems have been caused largely by focusing on themselves and their leaders. But in the text, and allow me to rehearse them if I can, he's going to say it's not Paul's church, it's not Apollos' church, it's not Peter's church, it's not even the Corinthians' church. The message he wants to make very clear to all of us this morning, as he did to them, is that it's God's church. Notice, if you would, if you use a pen or pencil, circle them, at least do so in your mind. God gave the growth, verse 6. He says it again in verse 7. God who gives the growth. See, we are God's fellow workers, verse 9. You are God's field, verse 9. You are God's building, verse 9. It's all of it, front to back. All of it's by the grace of God, verse 10. You are God's temple. You are filled with God's spirit, verse 16. If you destroy God's work, he will, God will destroy you, verse 16. God's temple. See, that's what we truly are, verse 18. We are God's. This is God's church. In Corinth, they were having an identity crisis. And by that I mean, they struggled with seeing who God was 
and his role in their church. They struggled really with his authority. See, the way God designed his church is that he would be supreme, that God would be the center of his church. And it's all about him. It's about his aims, his purposes, his agenda, and his glory, not theirs. So Paul tells them early on in the chapters we've already looked at that boast, not in yourselves or your own wisdom, the boast that you have is in the Lord. Why? Because he's where you should find your glory. And what Paul's going to say in this text and even the next paragraph as we round out chapter 3, he's going to say God brought the church into existence. God keeps the church going by his spirit. And someday in our text at the end, he says there's going to be the day, that's how he calls it, the day where the church will stand in judgment before God. So from beginning to end, it's about God. It's about him and his glory. When you and I, as believers, do not rightly understand nor rightly practice God's identity, who he is in the church, his role, his supremacy, his authority, it will also deform our view of our leaders and their identity, and our view of ourselves as a church. One author I read this week said, the door of unity in the church swings open on two hinges, who God is and who you are as the church. I'm sure that you realize this is a truth that is far greater and wider than the church. It's also true in your life every day and mine. See, people in our culture, and perhaps this has been you in the past, struggle to find out who they really are. And because they don't have God's identity straight in their life, they think they are their beauty or their looks or their sex appeal or their athleticism or their education or the money they make and the car they drive and the, drive and the labeled clothes they wear. See, they begin to think that it's what they do and what they drive or what they have that gives them their identity. And they struggle. You know why? Because they really haven't found out And rightly understood who God is. And until they get that right, see, we won't see ourselves right. And then we won't see others. See, when your identity is wrong and you think it's what the things you have or all those things I've mentioned, see, you'll want to use people. And people will be a means to the end. And if they disagree with you, you're not interested in working it out because you have one goal in mind, you. See, what's true out in the culture and in your lives personally and individually is also true in the church. That we have to figure this out. We have to get an understanding that this is God's church. See, it belongs to him. And so Paul's going to tell us, in light of the fact of that very truth, that the church belongs to God and that he's the sinner, he says, based on that, let me tell you, because you're having problems with it, who your leaders are. And then he says, and let me tell you who you are in light of all that. First of all, if you look at verse 5, He says, in light of the fact that God, this is his church, let me tell you who Paul and Apollos really are. Verse 5 reads, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Who are these leaders? See, you're taking sides. Let me tell you how truthfully foolish it is. Because you know what? God's the main focus and he's the center at the church, not these two guys. You know what they really are? They're just servants. And it's the Greek word diokonoi, which means they're just servants hired hands. They're just people who do work for God. See, pastors are not CEOs of corporations. They are servants in a community. We are not the focus. 
God is the focus. We are not professionals pursuing success. We are pastors pursuing sheep. See, he wants us to know that, see, your pastor and the leaders, whether it's me or anyone that's on staff here or anyone who's going to come after us or before us, here's what he says. We all are just workers in God's field. We are farm hands, field hands. And all that we're doing is working according to, listen to the word, in verse 5, the assignments that God has given to us as the Lord assigned to each. If you look at the history, and I kept little books from all the time I've been here. Pastor Martins gave me some. I have little books with pictures on it, and I could show you pictures, you wouldn't believe, of what Faith Baptist Church used to be like, that the youth group used to be a, a chicken coop, and, and, and all the things, that, and, and Faith Baptist, and Coozer Road, when it, it, had, it was a dead-end road, and all that was around the church was the little first building over in the nursery area was the first church in the area. And there was no houses here. And on back, and, and who's Pastor Lee, Pastor Nelson. See, they had a role in this church. Their assignment was they started the church. And then God brought up different pastors along. And those pastors watered the church. And Pastor Martins had a big part of being what it is today and building it up to what it is. And then God has another role for me and other people that come on in the future. See, God has given different abilities, different responsibilities, different temperaments, and all that go with it. Why? Because he has assigned them roles. But the truth of all of them is this. They're just servants. They're just people that God uses because, you know what? It's his church. It's his church, not our church. And it's foolish, isn't it? If we understand and act on that reality, it's foolish to choose sides over leaders. You know why? Because they're not the center of it. God is at the center of it. So he goes on to say, look at verse 6. Paul, it says in verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. He goes on to say, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. So he would say today, let me do you some math. Paul equals zero. Apollos equals zero. God gives the growth. You know, zero plus zero equals something only if God's in it. Only if God's in it. And he says, God is the somebody. Paul and Apollos are the nobodies. It doesn't do the church good to focus on people who are nobodies, but to focus on the one who is somebody. Now, don't get me wrong. Throughout the pages of Scripture, the Bible says that being a pastor is an honorable position. It is one that should be respected. But in the case of this passage, can you notice the two conjunctions? Each time he says, here's Apollos, here's, here's, here's Paul, but, and that's the strongest adverse, the strongest way that you can contrast something. He says, here's what they do, but in comparison to what God does, they're nothing. I mean, they have their roles, they have their assignments. Hey, Pastor Walker is here, Pastor Crompton, Pastor Steve, they all have jobs. But you know what? Their job and their weight and their importance is absolutely nothing compared to what God does at Faith Baptist Church. See, he's the one who gives growth. And in our day, that is not a popular biblical strategy for church growth. It is not the way most people see it. 
Today, pastors want success. They want mega church. They want all these numbers. They want to brag about it so they can write books and they can have blogs and they can have all of these things. And today, a lot of pastors see themselves not as servants but as celebrities where image is everything. And the goal of their life and their ministry is not to make Jesus' name great but their own. Their success is defined by the followers they have on Facebook, not the followers of Jesus they have in their congregations. And so throughout this text, Paul counters all of that with these little verbs of being. He says, this is who we are, and here's what, we are servants. We are nothing. See how he says that? He says, and then he goes on to say in verse 9, look at here, let me give you another verb of being. We are God's fellow workers, and it's the word in English we get synergism, which means two forces working together. And here's what Paul says. You know, we're basically nothing, Apollos and I. But when God chooses us, and all of his grace, he says, it's all by his grace, he chose us that we could work with him. See, he he says, then we belong to him, and God does amazing things. But we get the privilege of working with God because we belong to God. But don't ever forget, Paul says, God gives the increase. I didn't like it much, when I was growing up, but into my late elementary years and as a teenager, my parents liked to garden. And so we had a, a little plot. Actually, it was a pretty big plot, probably as big as one whole set of these pews. It was pretty big. And we had it at Gary and Esther Johnson's. They were people in our church. They had a big farm. He had farmed all of his life. His dad farmed all of his life. So they gave us a big piece of property and said, hey, you come on out and you can plant anything you want in this garden. So we'd go out to the Johnsons and my dad's job is he would do all the planting. So he would get the tiller, you know, back then, and he'd, you know, make the ground and ready for the, and they put all the stuff. And we had all, we, I'm trying to remember all the corn, we had tomatoes, green beans, onions, carrot, cabbage. I mean, we had a lot of stuff in this garden. Now my mom's job was, because my dad worked all day, my mom worked, stayed at home, worked at home. Right? So she, her job was to do the watering. So on really hot days and weeks, she would go out and water everything and take buckets and put it out there. And then our job as kids is we got to do all the weeding. Now you know why I didn't like it. I liked all the things and eating all the things in there. But I didn't like doing the weeding. So one Saturday, my two older sisters and I were all in the garden. And all of a sudden, we're talking about the garden and how nice it is and our mom and dad, how hard they work. And all of a sudden, my two sisters are standing there talking to me and one, my sister says, I am of mom. And I respond to her. I say, oh yeah? I am of dad. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because dad, he runs the tiller. Oh yeah, but that's nothing. If mom didn't water everything she comes back with, everything dad did would die. I go, yeah, but dad's bigger and stronger. And my sister goes, yeah, but mom's better looking. <laughs> now, this story never happened. And you laugh because it would be ridiculous, right? But isn't that what the Corinthians were doing? Isn't that what we do sometimes? See, it would be ridiculous, wouldn't it be? I mean, because we didn't even own the garden. The garden belonged to the Johnsons. And guess what? Yeah, my dad tilled the things and planted everything, and my mom watered it, 
It would be nothing if God didn't make it grow. And me, even though we were only 12 through 15, we knew that. We didn't have that argument. Because here's what we knew. All the vegetables and things that grew and were harvested were all because we worked together under God. Under God. You see what Paul says in verse 9? We are, here's who we are. You know, we already know it's God's church. We already defined him. Now let me tell you, in light of who he is, here's who we are, Paul says, as Apollos and and Apollos and and Paul, here's who we are. We're his fellow workers. Here's who you are. Ready? You are God's field. You are God's building. That's who you are as the people of God. You're the farm. You're the land. God owns that too. And let me give you a second metaphor. You are God's building. Paul uses this term. He says, I am the skilled master builder. We would call it the architect, the general contractor, someone who's in charge. And he says, you know what? Here's what God designed me for. I have been given the blueprints for what a church should be. So I lay out the spiritual blueprints on the table, and God has showed me and given me certain skills to know how to build a church and to plant one. So I get a church from off the ground, from nothing to something, he says. And then the subcontractors come in. And they're Apollos and Peter and other people like that. And they come in and they have different roles and different abilities and responsibilities, all working together, assigned by God on this divine construction project called the church. And he says, know this though, whatever I have planted... However God used it to reach the Corinthians and other churches, however Apollos came in and watered and and more people came to know the Lord, he says it's all of grace. Don't think for a moment that we'll take any credit for it. And Paul says when I laid out the plans, this is what God taught me, that when you lay out everything, everything is based on the foundation that you lay. And he says in verse 11, for no... No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And I would just add in parentheses there, Jesus Christ crucified, as he said earlier in chapter 2. Paul's assignment as a general contractor was to lay the foundation, and the foundation is Jesus Christ. And now what he wants to make sure, hear me, what he wants to make sure now is other guys come in after him who are building the structure of the building. He laid the foundation. Now Apollos and others, they're building the walls. They're putting the roof on, the windows and all that. See, he says, I got to make sure that you build God's building up to code. Because you can't just build however you want. I read a terrible article about Sofa Superstore. It was a very large factory and store, and the entire thing burned down in a matter of hours. The article said in the very first paragraph that it burned down, but then it says this, that could have all been prevented. You read the article and it says, here's the mistakes they made. They had a loading dock that they had built and installed, but they never got any permits from the city. They did not do it according to code. Exit doors where people could escape for a fire were all blocked with large machinery so that those exits weren't usable. Over the years, I think it was 10 years, there were four different additions made to the store and to the factory that was behind it. Large additions, and none of them were ever done according to code. 
They didn't get the permits. They didn't use the right materials. In fact, they stored illegally and improperly combustible materials that could explode when lit. There was never put a sprinkler system in there. None of those things. And the day that it caught fire because of the combustible materials that were improperly and illegally stored there, the whole thing burned down. But that isn't the bad part of it. All the firemen that came and tried to get people out of the building and save the building, nine firemen died. And many of them were found dead trying to get out of an exit that was blocked. It could have all been prevented. But see, they didn't build the building up to code. And Paul says, here's what I did. I laid the foundation. Now guys like Apollos and Peter and other people who come to this church, see, they're building up the church. And church but you've got to do it God's way. You've got to do it with God's materials. And he lists them. See, there are gold and silver and precious stones. See, those who are materials that will endure. When they are tested by fire, as he later says in the rest of this text, it's going to stand. But if you build with wood, hay, and stubble or straw, you build with that stuff, it's going to burn up. So Paul says, that's why I built the foundation. We have a hymn in our hymn book. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And Paul said, I built it on the right foundation. And can I tell you this? That's crucial in the day in which we live. Because you see around us people who are building their churches and ministries on the wrong foundation, building with the wrong materials, and it's going to get burned. See, at Faith, we're not building it on our political allegiances. That's not what our church is built on. Not on therapeutic deism, which wants to make you feel good when you come to church so that you go home and you have a better week. It's not built on the most recent scientific knowledge that accords with evolution so that we can look intellectual and feel better about ourselves. Our foundation is not built on business success strategies. It's not built on the new ideas of the sexual revolution in America. It's not built on relevant fads or entertainment concert-like music services and worship services. No, it's built on Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's built on the things that will last, the things that will endure the test of time, the things that when they stand before the fiery judgment of God someday will not be burned up in loss. Other apostles or other preachers come to Corinth and they build on what Paul laid. And he says, unless you use the right materials and continue on the right foundation, there will be dire consequences to those things. And in verse 13, may I read it for you again? Each one's work. Doesn't matter if it's Paul, Peter, Apollos, and can I add, any pastor, any leader, any worker in this church. See, you will stand before God's judgment, he says, and your work and what kind it was and the materials you use, it will be revealed. It will show. See, right now, it looks like these churches who have thousands of people at times, see, it looks like they have this great foundation and structure. It looks great. But someday, if it's gone, it'll be burned up by fire and it'll be revealed what they really built it on. Oh, they got all kinds of people attracted in the door. But did they stand up for God's truth? Were they discipling people? Were they building not just a wide church, but a deeper church? 
He says, it will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only by fire. See, as pastors, here's one of the things that we aim to do at Faith Baptist Church. We want to fireproof our church. We want to fireproof individuals so that when they stand before God in judgment and God looks at your life and the works that you did and he looks at us corporately. By the way, all the pronouns in this text are plural, not singular. This is about what we do together as a church and how your life and what you do individually affects it, he says. When I was 12 years old, my dad was on his way to work, was taking me to drop me off at school. And every day we came around the road that led to the highway, and right on the highway was our church. And we came around the corner, and the, the fire and the smoke was way up in the sky. And what I didn't find out till later that day was a Satanist had arsoned and burnt down our church. And I remember as a 12-year-old boy, my dad and I stopped because he couldn't get too close. And I remember watching the entire church burn down. And we had a fairly large church, probably about seven or 800 people. And I remember how sad we were the next service because we couldn't meet in the auditorium. And we had to meet in the high school right down the road for almost two years. And I remember that whole, and how that Satanist burned our church building down. But he didn't burn our church down. See, Faith Baptist Church has a building. But did you know that Faith Baptist is a church and it is a building? We are God's building. We are God's building. And by the way, after that two years up, we rebuilt together. And one of my fondest memories growing up as a kid was being on the roof with my dad. Yes, I, was, I wasn't doing any work. That's why I came out okay. I was just handing shingles across, Right? Rebuilt, we built that church. See, the church built the church building together. And I remember that. We made it into a gymnasium, built a new auditorium at the other end of the property, and that's how it stands until this day. But someday, see, there's a fire coming to this church. A fire. When we stand, we stand before God. And we have to give an account of what we built this church and how we invested in it and what we did And Paul says this, look what he says, verse 16, do you not know, that's the beginning of a little series of rhetorical questions throughout now till chapter 9, he's going to ask this question 10 times, search and read it for yourself, it's a fascinating study, he's going to keep asking him, don't you know, don't you get it, don't you see, don't you understand who you are, here's who God is. Hear who the leaders are in light of who he is. Now get it. This is who you are. You are God's field. You are God's building. And the last one, the last identity marker is this. You are the temple of God. You are God's temple. And God's Holy Spirit dwells in you. Do you know that when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, the temple in Jerusalem was still standing? And here's what he says. It's not there that God resides anymore. It's here. It's not in a temple structure. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? Someday it won't matter whether it's Jerusalem or Samaria 
because those who worship God will worship him in spirit and truth. He says, listen, that day has come. And the church is not a big temple in a city somewhere. It's not a church so much so as a building. It is a people that God has chosen his spirit to dwell in. Let your mind try to wrap itself around that not only is God here today, but he has chosen to live here, dwell here. And would not our lives be radically different if we believed that on a 24-7 basis? Wouldn't we say things and treat each other differently? Wouldn't we see our roles and our responsibilities and what we do and don't do? Wouldn't it be completely different if we believed that God was in here, in us, in you? Well, he is. And then he makes this little distinguishing mark. He says, because God's temple is holy. You know, in Corinth, in the first century, the the city was filled with all kinds of temples, pagan temples to all kinds of false gods. And in those temples, there were sacrifices. And in those temples were pagan uh, worship, prostitution, and all kinds of immorality. He says, but see, you're Christians, Here's who you are. You're the temple of God, and that temple is not common. Holy means set apart for a special purpose. It has moral connotations, but it really means set apart. You're not like the pagans. You're not just another temple in Corinth. You are not commonplace. You're not like everybody else. You're God's temple. That's who you are. See, that's your identity marker. My youth pastor used to preach this text when I was a kid. And he said, you're either a temple or a trash can. He says, in Corinth, all the other temples were full of trash because of the way they lived their lives. You're different. Not because we're better, not superior. It's all by the grace of God. He says, we're different. Okay, Pastor Walker, I get it. I'm the temple of God. We're the temple of God, more importantly. But do you understand it, really? How serious is God? How much does he want you to get this? He says this, if there is anyone who destroys God's temple, and in the context, if you cause schisms and divisions and you do things in the church to create problems, here's what he says. If you try to destroy God's church by that, here's what he says, I will destroy him. Do you see how serious he is? God takes unity of the church very seriously, so much so that he says, and if you try to wreck it, I'm going to wreck you. That's his words, God says. He's serious about it. Just ask Ananias and Sapphira, who lied and deceived for their own advantage. Just a sec. Thank you. God's very serious about it. You know why? Because it's his church. If this is God's church, and it is, then we, we, leaders and people, we need to build it God's way. God's way for God's name, for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this lesson. Thank you for this text. This is your church bought by your blood, Jesus, called by your name. Father, from beginning to end, the church is yours. 
Help us not to hold on to our areas of ministry as if somehow they're ours. They're yours. You are the owner. This is your building. This is your people. Father, help us to be humbled by that. Help us to rethink our identity and our relationships and our investment in our service, in our ministry, based on the fact of who you are and who we are in light of that. Please help us as we do so, that it result in a greater unity than ever before, that with one mind and one heart and one mouth, we might glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.